is Bloomberg Surveillance. Is there a little sign of concern in the banking system in the Eurozone? Yes, but it's still very, very contained. The U.S. pursued a very aggressive policy early on, and that is having payoff several years later. You have a fundamental problem of architecture, and that's why any small issue is amplified immediately in the marketplace. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street. It looks like a good day to pull the covers back over your head. Janet Yellen fails to calm investors' nerves. Oil drops again, and there's a lot of red on the screen. Why and what's next on surveillance this morning? Some of it disappointing earnings. Societe Generale reporting earnings down 35% in the most recent quarter. That adds to concern about European banks. European indexes very red. The stock 600 down 3.6%. That's 11 points on that index. The DAX, one of the worst performing indexes in the world so far this year, down 2.9%, 258 points. In the, uh, across the English Channel, the FTSE is off 138 points right now, two and a half percent here in oh by the way sweden's rick's bank tom uh cutting rates even more negative negative 50 basis points they say they may intervene in currency markets as well we'll yeah. have to talk about that uh in, in a little bit later the uh seki is down against the euro and the dollar though here in the u.s equities following oil lower west texas 26.34 down more than 4%. Brent crude, 30.29, down 1 and 3 quarters percent. Uh, Bob Cinch writing in from Amherst Pierpont this morning saying maybe oil is headed to capitulation. We can talk about why he thinks so uh, a little bit later on. Uh, as I mentioned, U.S. futures following all down. S&P futures off 43 points. This is S&P. This isn't Dow futures. S&P futures off 43 points, 2.2%. Dow futures down 346 points, 2.2%. NASDAQ futures uh, the worst. They're off 98 points, 2.5%, and and I haven't even talked about bonds. (laughs) Bonds are falling, yields are, are, uh, bonds are rising, uh, yields falling. 1.55 for the 10-year, 99 basis points, below 1% for the 5-year, 59 basis points for the 2-year, 2013 levels, and German and British bonds are at record lows this morning. I think you continue with your terrific sum. I just want to say for global Wall Street listening that all of this is massively quadratic. I just did a log chart of Japanese yen intraday and it is not falling. Plunging is media talk. It's just accelerating. The convexities that we're seeing across all asset classes aren't like yesterday, Mike, and aren't like a week ago. Well, that's a shameless plug for the Bloomberg Radio Plus app because you'll send that out to everybody who has one and can see exactly what you're talking about. Well, Bill Lee is head of North American Economics for Citigroup, and uh, he is taking shelter here in the sub-basement of the Bloomberg World Headquarters with us as uh, we close the submarine door and try to keep the world out. Yesterday, Janet Yellen went up to Capitol Hill and said things aren't that bad. Uh, is nobody listening? 
Isn't it amazing, Mike, that when you actually look at the real data, and Janet Yellen was, in, in fact, pointing to the employment data, and she said, you know, things are doing quite well, and yet the markets are panicked like crazy. There's not one person out there who wants to take on any risk. So we have this massive disconnect between the financial markets and the real economy, a massive disconnect between central banks, the way they see the economy, and the way the markets view the central banks. And I think part of that is because central banks have lost their way. Central banks have lost their, their role as being anchor for the financial markets because the Fed now has become so responsive to financial markets that markets can't count on them to stick to the macro fundamentals and say, you know, our mandate is maximum employment and price stability. Instead, it's calming the markets. And that's where the concern is. This is very important. Uh, very important. Are you saying that Janet Yellen and the Fed and other central banks have lost credibility with the markets now? No. In fact, they have massive credibility. The credibility is absolutely guaranteed they're going to try to do something to calm the markets. They will delay interest rate normalization. They'll do whatever it takes, as Draghi says, whatever it takes to keep markets from falling apart. And they did that in 98 when it was LTCM and the Asian crisis, and that was exactly the right thing to do. They did, did that in 2008. Yeah. That was exactly the right thing to do. They're doing it now. That's exactly the wrong thing to do because the real economy, as Janet Yellen was saying, is doing okay. Sources of weakness, sectoral, energy, geographic, emerging markets in China, uh, political, the lack of a transparent framework in China and the confidence, uh, lack of confidence we have in the leadership there to pull it off. Those are the sources of weakness, very well identified, very well known. Is there a sign of contagion? Right now, none of us can find it. All right. Well, a couple things going on there, folks. We're going to give you more data checks today, and we're going to also highlight within our interviews what's moving right now. What's moving right now is a 10-year U.S. yield in a solid 11 basis points, 1.5606. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance. Brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks. It's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Mike, a lot to talk about in the markets. Why don't you continue with Dr. Lee? Well, let's set a predicate here for what we're talking about. You're relatively optimistic about the economy. Your indicators don't show recession ahead, the recession that is being now priced into financial markets. In fact, everyone in the world seems to believe not only is there a global recession, and by the way, our house view, and Bill and Bowder is my boss, we are believing that there is a global recession, meaning the global economy is growing at slower than potential. Absolutely no question about it. But where is that weakness coming from? China, emerging markets, the China supply chain, and the commodity oil sector at the related countries there. When you look at the advanced economies, especially the United States, again, those are the same sources of weakness. GDP is growing much slower pace than domestic purchases. Why? Net exports. Why? Energy. Can I ask the money dumb question of the morning? Is Janet Yellen, 10 a.m. this morning, is she central banker to the world to that emerging market? Does she need to provide the leadership to the emerging market so they make what we all agree are tough decisions? And if that's what she claims to be, she's going to be fired because her job is to be the central banker to the United States. And the United States policy objectives are maximum U.S. employment, maximum uh, 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 price stability in the U.S., meaning 2% inflation in the U.S. That's her job. The fact that she does it with keeping in mind the rest of the world means that she recognizes the U.S. is special. The U.S. is the largest economy in the world, and we've got to be a good citizen. Absolutely. But our goal is not to stabilize the Chinese stock market. 
to a certain extent, is she chasing her tail? The Fed talks about raising interest rates here because they're worried about uh, slack going out of our economy because we're growing faster than potential. When she does that, the dollar goes higher and it rebounds back into uh, growth in the United States. That might you, you hit it right in the head. That's where the problem is, right? The, the, transmission policy, uh, the transmission mechanism for monetary policy used to be short rates go up, long rates go up, and then it sort of kills off the housing sector, and, and that's how we slow down the economy. Now, because the rest of the world is piling into the long end, that long end doesn't have a chance to go up anymore. And instead, the transmission channel is through the exchange rate. So when Janet Yellen says, we're going to be normalizing interest rates while the rest of the world is going down, that means the dollar appreciates. And the minute Janet Yellen says, okay. we're on schedule, the dollar picks up. <clears throat> I want, I want to sum here because we've got to do an extended data check, uh, Bill Lee. Folks, stay with us. Market's really uh, moving. There's a lot of moving parts here. And a guy with you with a fancy parchment, fancy degrees, you can keep track of the parts, the Newtonian mechanics, and all that. I want you to summarize this for the dumbest person listening besides me, which is it's a search for economic growth. That's Absolutely. really what this is about. Where does that growth come or the rate of change of growth come for the world? Right now, if the world is relying on monetary policy to get you that growth, it means you've got to steal it from somebody. You've got to steal it from someone who's appreciating. It used to be that by, by lowering interest rates, you've grabbed it from the future. You've manufactured more, in, more capital Okay, investment. but to Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders' success, it's a mercantile world is what you're saying. We have been reduced to a mercantile world because monetary policy is now limited to exchange rate mechanisms for the transmission of its competitiveness. Okay. Bonus round. Michael Barr, hold my hand here. we got to sing Kumbaya. Okay, we're going to sing Kumbaya. I'm going to send out the best paper ever written on mercantilism. I'll find it out on the Internet. Jacob Viner, 1948, which completely redefined the post-World War II uh, analysis of a zero-sum game. This is why you listen to Bloomberg Surveillance, folks. So I'll send you out papers that are 60 <laughs> years old that still are germane today. Let me do a data check. Futures negative 37, a little bit lower earlier. Dow futures negative 307. The 10-year yield is the frontline story right now. 1.5691. We just contacted Steve Major at HSBC. He's in endless meetings with his bank this morning. We hope to have Mr. Major on Bloomberg Radio tomorrow with his really outlier call of a 150. He looks like the genius du jour right now. West Texas. 2637 and accelerating lower down a dollar seven. Brent crude like a rock at $30, $30.30. The yen in was in two big figures, 111.42 on euro yen, 126.29 showing relative yen strength uh, to the euro. And I might point out gold on a tear up $41, 12.36, the bull market bounce. 710 on Wall Street. Let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Defense Secretary Ash Carter says he sees more than two dozen countries contributing to the war against the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq to endorse a U.S. plan for accelerating the campaign this year. Carter is at NATO headquarters in Brussels, where today he will lay out details of the campaign plan 
in a meeting with allies and non-NATO partners such as Saudi Arabia and Iraq. North Korea has ordered the military takeover of a factory park that was the last major symbol of cooperation with South Korea. The move follows Seoul's announcement that it's pulling out of the industrial park to punish North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for recent nuclear and missile tests. The Senate today will likely vote to approve a permanent ban on taxing Internet access as part of a wide-ranging measure. They would also revamp trade laws. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Michael Barr, thanks so much. You can stay with us. Extra data checks through this morning with, mar- with markets on the move. Futures, negative 37. With Bill Lee of Citigroup, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. stock index futures are following oil prices lower with investors shunning risk worldwide as Asian markets reopen to join a global sell-off. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 39 points. Dow E-mini futures down 326. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 93. That's down 2.3%. DAX in Germany is down 2.9%. CAC in Paris down 4%. FT100 down 2.4%. Ten-year Treasury up 30, 30 seconds. The yield 1.56%. NYMEX crude oil down 4.25% at $1.17 to $26.28 a barrel. COMEX gold up 3.5% or $42.10 at $12.36.70 an ounce. The euro, $1.1342. The yen, $111.38. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. I just sent out Unicredit and Deutsche Bank charts, both banks, as a proxy for European banking, breaking down. Now, Unicredit, very close to new lows. Deutsche Bank, not quite there yet, 13.35 euros on the European quote with the intraday 13.03. But... uh you know, there we are. We just heard Stephen Major will be with us tomorrow from HSBC with a yield 1.57%. William Lee with us, working with Willem Bowder at Citigroup, and he has such a storied career at the IMF uh, that I, I think I want to digress here and talk about Lagarde's new mediocre. She looks like a genius, or I should say she and Blanchard in the PhD. She looks like an like optimist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's that, too. But the idea of a new mediocre, how do you filter that with your IMF experience? You know, it used to be that the IMF were considered the stormtroopers. They were the ones who went around enforcing what was supposed to be the right policy. The new mediocre also applies to the IMF, I'm sorry, I'm sad to say. As much as a genius as I think the world thinks Lagarde and Blanchard were, um, they have also lowered the standards by which policymakers are judged. they got to be tougher. they got to be tougher because they're, they're allowing too many concessions, especially in the euro area. What was the problem in the Looking euro area? Ukraine, it, was, Greece, it was structural. And, they, and, and the standard IMF program is you put in structural reforms. And everyone knows at the IMF it takes five to ten years before those structural programs take hold. Meanwhile, monetary policy is supposed to fill in the gap. Instead, monetary policy has now become the primary tool, and structural reforms are being put in the, in the background. Every time Draghi makes a speech, he says, I'm waiting for you guys to use the time I'm buying you. And he needs the IMF to get us back. 
And he, he's got to get the IMF back there and say, you got to do the structural reforms. And instead, the IMF says, oh, take your time. We understand it's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of unemployment. And guess what? You're going to have a lot of political unrest. Well, that's exactly why it is that you put in these reforms at a time when you try to get the economy to be more efficient. Well, everybody loves uh, Madame Lagarde, but... Nobody in Italy, nobody in France is listening to her. They're not exactly. going to make policy based. I mean, you can get the IMF in there, but it's not going to change anything. It might change it for Greece because they need the IMF's money. But if you're not going to the IMF to borrow, you're not going to follow their prescriptions. And that's why when I was on the U.S. desk at the, at the IMF, it was considered the most prestigious job in, in the IMF because you were dealing with the top economies in the world. But it's also the most useless job because the IMF says, thank you very much, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what did the IMF do during the Asian crisis? They actually put in reforms. They said, look, you can't have fixed exchange regimes. You have to start floating. And that really did the world a tremendous service. What are they telling the world now? you got to put in structural reforms. And what's the world telling them? We'll do is, it later. Is renminbi a floating exchange rate, a managed float? Is it one of Rogoff's 14 flavors of floating? It can't be a float until you get the financial reforms in place. You can't have a float unless you have convertibility unless you have capital Is that flows. critical now for stability within the global system for China yeah, to do their yeah. part? Because Dominic Constant, Mike, is really big on this thing. Price discovery, where the, where the remedy should be, the equilibrium price, is something you can't do with administrators. And that's where the markets come in. But you can't allow the markets to work unless you've got the infrastructure in place. Because right now, if you allow uh, the, 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 the remedy to float and with all these capital controls, you haven't a clue what you're doing. You don't know where the float is going to. It's probably going to be to a distorted price. Do we have any idea of uh, – well, how tied to the uh, macroeconomy – of China is the renminbi. Uh, that's, a, that's a great point, Mike. That's a great point. Hold on a minute. He's had three great points today, <laughs> and I've had squat. I'm getting warmed up. I'm not even working over here. I've been talking to you on TV. Uh, but, 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 Mike, the, the connection between the financial sector and the real economy, it normally is tied together through the markets, but guess what? China has no markets. They're trying to create the markets, and instead they have administered um, banking. And administered banking means directed lending, and that's what got them into trouble before. And right now, they're trying to cut back on that, and at the same time, they need to do fiscal policy. How do you cut back on directed lending, which is the wrong thing to do, and at the same time, encourage somehow people to start spending money? That's a hard thing to do. You hope you have a decent economy and a quiet, calm market uh, environment to do it in, but they don't now. So they're not going to do it, are they? They're going to come to the rescue of these companies. They're going to prop everything up for the moment. The hope and prayer for China right now are the structural reforms they're putting in place, meaning shifting toward the private sector, shifting toward consumption. Trouble is there's no transparency there. We haven't a clue how strong that sector is. And the lack of data, the lack of transparency into China is at the heart of not only China's crisis, but the global crisis. I want to go back to your wonderful thoughts on mercantile and zero-sum world. If it's a zero-sum world, the take, i got to get the language right, the takee within it is the United States. They're going to take our growth. They're going to take <laughs> our marginal rents, like et cetera. There, so. Yeah, I am. I, but, I, but, I, use, I use that metaphor because I want it to be provocative, and, 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 but it's true. When the only transmission channel or the main channel is through the exchange rate and not through lending, you're taking from you're the taking U.S. taking from the appreciating currency, and right now the only appreciating currency that matters is the U.S., that means you got to grab the U.S. growth. We don't have much to grab, right? We've got two two percent GDP growth, maybe three percent domestic demand. Yeah. But for the for, but for a small open economy 
like Sweden, well, that's a lot. Quickly, Michael Hartnett over Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, making a lot of waves on some form of new collegial agreement called a new plaza accord. Where are you in Bowder on this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I think the worst thing you can do is to have policymakers coordinate exchange rates. Policymakers should do what they're supposed to do best policy for their own economies. The markets will determine where the equilibrium exchange rates will be. Uh, right. I don't think there's any instance right. besides one where the plaza-type agreements work. Okay, well, we, right. got, we could go on for what? Another three hours with William Lee of Citigroup. There is so much going on, and yes, we're efforting select guests on this select market move. Futures improve a little bit off of the carnage of 20 minutes ago, negative 34 Dow futures were negative 300 down negative 282. Stay with us worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the Breakers Palm Beach. This winter, the Breakers Palm Beach is better than ever. Come see why. Visit thebreakers.com. Call 1-800-BREAKERS or contact your travel professional. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Morning at 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen. We are looking at some of the... Uh, Corporate news that will affect trading today. PepsiCo says profit this year will rise about 2%. The strong dollar weighing on revenue earnings $4.66 a year. They uh, share they forecast up from $4.57 last year. Analysts estimated $4.76. Fourth quarter profit was $1.06 a share. That matched analyst estimates. Societe Generale shares are down this morning by almost 12%. France's second largest bank posting fourth quarter profit that missed estimates. Uh, Twitter shares at the moment are down by 7%. The social media site adding no net users in the fourth, uh, in the fourth quarter. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, the last four people to occupy a national wildlife refuge in eastern Oregon say they are giving themselves up to authorities in just a few hours. Last night, law officers surrounded the wildlife refuge in a tense standoff. The group led by Ammon Bundy seized the refuge on January 2nd to oppose federal land use policies. Bundy was later arrested and his father was taken into custody last night. NATO says it will deploy a significant number of troops to eastern Europe. It is a move to fight Russian aggression. Defense Secretary Ash Carter speaking in Brussels today says the U.S. would be providing significant assistance to the deterrent plan. In particular, the budget quadruples funding for the European Reassurance Initiative to a total of $3.4 billion and broadens its focus to include deterring Russian aggression against NATO allies. Carter also called on NATO coalition partners to do more to fight ISIS. Tensions between North and South Korea are escalating sharply after Pyongyang launched a long-range rocket over the weekend. North Korea says it's kicking South Koreans out of the country. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Now time for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashower. John? All right, Mike. Rangers went to Pittsburgh to face a hot team. Penguins had won 6-7. of seven. Sidney Crosby, 10 goals in those seven games, but the Rangers cooled him and the Penguins off, winning 3 nothing for their fourth straight win, 34 saves, 
for Henrik Lundqvist, the coach is Elaine Vigneault. You know, we played their top players well. Uh, we made sure we had back pressure. We made sure we had numbers. And, uh, you know, yes, they probably got a lot of shot attempts, but uh, we were keeping it to the outside. And when they got on the inside, Hank made some real big saves for us. Rangers host L.A. tomorrow night. Kings are in Brooklyn tonight facing the Islanders. Barkley Center last night, the Nets' 40th loss. So they go to the All-Star break after being outscored by Memphis in the third quarter, 39-18. to The final was 109-90. to Joe Johnson, 0 for 3. First time since 2003. Johnson didn't score a single basket. 937 games in a row, the longest active streak, eighth longest in NBA history. The 21st and next to last meeting between LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, as expected, the Cavs won. Golden State won in Phoenix. That's the Warriors' 11th win in a row. Overtime in Boston. Celtics 139, Clippers 134. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. Thank you, John. It is a red screen kind of day. S&P futures off by 32 points right now, 1.7%. Dow even is off by 270 points, 1.7%, believe it or not. Those are off their lows of the day. Dollar index falling today, 95.601. And the yen, the big currency mover of the day, 111.95. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. It is going to be a tough day for traders. S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ futures all down by more than one and three quarters percent. The stock 600 in Europe is down by 10 points. That's a three percent drop on the day. And listen to this. Ten-year yield, 1.57 percent. The five-year, 101 and 60 basis points for your two-year yield. It is setting up to be... A rough morning. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Patrice Sakara. Good morning, Michael. Businesses are most concerned about cyber attacks. A survey by the Business Continuity Institute of 568 companies across 74 countries finds 85% fear a cyber attack, such as a malware or distributed denial-of-service attack. The number two, data breaches at 80%. There was also increasing concern about physical terrorism, vandalism, theft, and fraud. Flying to Europe may take less time, but coming back to the U.S. could take considerably more. British researchers studying climate change conclude a doubling of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will speed up the jet stream 15% as it moves from west to east across the Atlantic, meaning a trip from London to New York could eventually take more than seven hours. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Patrice, thank you very much. West Texas Intermediate, 2645, down 3.6% on the day. Brent crude, 3032, down 1 and 3 quarters percent. And of course, when oil falls, so does the Russian ruble. Right now, coming in at 79.7757. The MySex index, down 2% on the day in Russia, off 36 points. Uh, uh, Daniel Hewitt, I'm sorry, is uh, Barclays senior EMEA economist, and he covers Russia. And, uh, Daniel, uh, last year in 2015, the Russian economy contracted, according to your figures, about 3.7%, and that was with oil in the $40 range. At uh, $30 or in the 20s, the outlook for 2016 can't be very good. No, Russia is still highly dependent upon oil. 
for their economy, particularly the budget, is linked to uh, oil revenues. So uh, Russia's economy is under a lot of pressure right now. What can they do, uh, given the, the situation? Vladimir Putin has promised not to raise taxes until the next election, which is 2018. So does he have any options? They, they don't have a lot of options, but one has to give the Russian government a lot of credit for having adjusted already quite a bit to lower oil prices. Both the monetary policy has done well by allowing the roof to float rather than trying to protect the exchange rate. And fiscal policy has made adjustments in cutting back expenditures to a large extent, um, but still they're, they're in for a, a lot more trouble on the fiscal side. The fiscal is particularly weak right now, and they don't have many options, in part because of their military commitments. Um, they can't cut back their military spending because of the Syrian operations, et cetera. And so this limits their degrees of freedom. The other problems they have is in terms of financing with the sanctions, it's hard for them to obtain external financing also. So in the meantime, they're using up reserves. And um, as long as they hold up, I guess they can keep going. How fast are they depleting them? Well, um, they have they have used up uh, their they have a reserve fund which had something like ninety billion dollars in it previously. It's now down to below fifty billion dollars, and conceivably, if they have a bad fiscal year this year, they could use up the reserve fund entirely. They still have the national welfare fund with with seven, fifty to seventy billion dollars in it, depending on how you measure it. Usable fifty billion or so. So that gives them a couple more years of reserves to uh, run deficits, then they have to balance the budget after that or obtain financing someplace. If they cut spending, that's going to reduce aggregate demand, though. So uh, can they, well, obviously they can just print money, but would they be willing to do that? No, the um, the central bank seems to be very determined to be an inflation-targeting bank. They just adjust, they have only been inflation-targeting for a little over a year, but they're quite serious about it, and I don't think they're willing to print a lot of money or, or let the, the uh, monetary side go. Um, no, I think it's up to the fiscal to somehow adjust itself to the new reality as one best of, it can. One of the questions rattling around the global energy markets is whether Russia would be willing to cut back on its oil production in order to drive the price higher. Yes, that's a, that's a question that's sitting out there. Um, I think at the governmental level, they're, they're certainly considering this because if, uh, if combined actions can raise oil prices, they'll obviously improve their fiscal situation, even with some small cutbacks. However, it's not easy to coordinate with, uh, with the somewhat private sector uh, oil producers that exist in, in Russia. It wouldn't be easy to, uh, to bring this about. Daniel Hewitt is uh, Barclays Senior Emerging uh, Europe and Middle East Economist. We'll continue our conversation here as we uh, follow the markets lower today, including uh, the Russian stock markets. The RTS is down by almost 4% on the day. The MISEX off by 2%. That's no different from what we're seeing around the world. The stock 600 in Europe is down 3%. The FTSE is off by 2%. The DAX is off by 2%. The CAC 40, Carol uh, CAC, is off by 3.4%.
And in the U.S., uh, U.S. futures are lower by 1.7% for S&P futures, 1.7% for Dow futures, and 1.9% for NASDAQ futures. So not a pretty outlook. Uh, the Russian ruble. 79.761 is down by six-tenths today against the dollar. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by T2 Computing, a new kind of IT solutions company for workflow, mobility, and infrastructure. Let them explain how their expertise can help you gain greater business value. Visit T2Computing.com for more information. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Tumbling banks leading European stocks toward their lowest since September 2013, and U.S. stock index futures are indicating a lower open. This after Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen's interest rate comments failed to inspire lasting gains. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 33 points. Dow E-mini futures down 280. And NASDAQ E-mini futures are down 79. DAX in Germany is down 2.4%. Ten-year Treasury is up 1. The yield 1.55%. The yield on the two-year 0.59%. NYMEX crude oil down 3.5% or 96 cents to $26.50 a barrel. COMEX gold up 3.5% or $41.70 to $12.36.30 an ounce. The euro $1.1325, the yen 112.13. Milan down more than 13% this morning. This after it shelled out about $7.2 billion to buy Swedish drug maker Meta. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. One other market note to the ruble trading at 79.77, down almost seven-tenths of a percent on the day. We're talking about the Russian economy with Daniel Hewitt. He's Barclays Senior EMEA Economist. And uh, we were talking about the difficult choices ahead of President Putin, uh, given uh, the economic conditions there and the fact that oil prices continue dropping. What's your base case scenario? Are they going to maintain strict budget constraints or do they uh, abandon budgetary discipline uh, as the election approaches in, in 2018, raise salaries and pensions and risk uh, an inflationary spiral? Well, first of all, they have two elections. They have uh, this fall, they have parliamentary elections, and then in 2018 in, the, uh, in February, they have presidential elections. So they're obviously focused on parliamentary elections, and they're a lot closer, even though um, the Putin supporters have, have a, a strong majority. They're still under more pressure. Putin's popularity has, has been maintained at very high levels, but the, his parliamentary group's not as strong. And so they would certainly like to do something to, to increase the government's popularity, but I think their degrees of freedom are extremely limited at this time. And I think that they will, will, they will uh, come down in favor of fiscal discipline rather than populist policies at this moment, because I think they risk a lot bigger problem if they let the fiscal go. Well, we know that Russia has a big geopolitical impact on the world these days. But what about economic um, on the world, on emerging markets, on the rest of Europe? Uh, this is a, a big country, not necessarily a big economy. It's a big country, 
Um, but I would say at this point, their impact on the world economy is fairly limited in that um, their, their trade volumes have dropped quite a bit, mm-hmm. as they had to, as their export revenues have fallen, their imports have fallen enormously uh, in reaction to that. So they're less and less of an impact on the economy. I would say they're, they're kind of right. a bit isolated. Certainly they affect the other CIS countries quite a bit. Dan, I hope they're all all suffering. I hope you're glued to your Bloomberg today. And I mean, there's any number of ways to go on data. Sometimes what I find, Dan Hewitt, is what is not moving is just as important as what is moving. For example, folks, the 10-year yield in 11 basis points, a 156 U.S. 10-year yield is just jaw-dropping. Dan Hewitt, what's not moving is the Russian ruble. If I extrapolate Brent and certainly West Texas Intermediate, I ought to be at a dollar ruble of 82, 83, whatever. I'm not. Do you just assume that's a use of reserves to support the ruble? No, I don't think there's any use of reserves whatsoever. What I think is that you don't have a one-to-one parity between oil price changes and the ruble. I mean, this has existed for a while. And this is natural. It's the the, the uh, oil, price, oil is not the only thing that affects the Russian economy. There's other factors, too. And so I think it, it puts some restraints on the rube movement. The other thing is, is to realize that the rube is very much affected by the amount of liquidity that the central bank puts out. And they've been very, very restrained. And they've tried to lean against uh, exchange rate movements in Russia and, and I think are having some success. So, um, so I think that, I think, I think there's probably more confidence in the central bank than existed before. I think for the last year they've, uh, They've acted pretty intelligently, and I think have that that situation under control to some extent. What about the, the rest of Europe uh, and the smaller countries in Europe? Good question. Not just uh, not just Russia, but with oil prices uh, falling, uh, uh, do they benefit from that in a way that the Russians, as producers, do not? Exactly. All the all Eastern European countries are benefiting from improved current account balances because of lower energy costs. It's been a major, major factor. If you look at Poland and Hungary, Romania, in in all cases they've had some pretty strong improvements in their current account situation. So what they used to have pretty pretty entrenched deficits and now they're they're nearer balance or even in some cases in certainly Hungary's case they have pretty strong surpluses. Mike, I'm so glad you brought this up and Dan I I think you nailed it with Poland. I just put Euro Zloty we can do that on Bloomberg on Thursdays. Euro Zloty out on Bloomberg Radio Plus. And this is the third bout of strong Euro weak Polish Zloty since 2009. Yeah. All the others have ended abruptly. Do you assume a stochastic, pointy, abrupt end to this? Or is this a new structural plane we're going to for Eastern Europe, which is weak currency versus Germany and the Netherlands? Well, in the case of Poland, they have got some political uncertainty, which is very much affecting the uh, Zelati euro rate. So uh, their weakness represents a, okay. a lot of uncertainty. There. They've got a new, new election in October, new government, the peace government, and the peace is, is going the way of, of Hungary under Orban and is, uh, and is changing, changing the way things work there quite a bit, and that's causing lack of confidence in the institutions mm-hmm. in Poland. So that's, I think, a new shift. It certainly happened in Hungary. Hungary <clears throat> had a shift right. like that previously. Now the markets have adjusted, yeah. and, and the the, uh, 
the foreign is now down at a, right. another level. Dan here, so, uh, one, more, one more question as an economist. I want to ask you a trader's question. What's the correlation in emerging markets now? Is there a tight correlation between this one, this one, the other one, or not? Well, I think right now we're going to have to look at fundamentals. And countries with strong fundamentals are, uh, are acting as safe havens and doing better, while those with somewhat weak fundamentals that have let things go a little bit, they're, they're suffering. They've got a, and they're, they're highly correlated with each other. So I think you have to break it into two groups. Um. Thank you so much, Jenny. We greatly appreciate it uh, with Barclays, our senior emerging market economist in this time of tumult. Mike, I don't even know where to go when I say equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, other than selected items are grinding now. The yen is doing better, actually, over the last half hour or so. I can't say the same about full faith and credit paper. I mean, it's just grinding down lower yield. No other right. way to put it. Uh, there, there is extraordinary correlation today among all asset classes. I don't know if we have mentioned gold. Did you mention gold earlier? Um, rocketing higher, 3.4%. It's up $40 to $1,234.90. We were at uh, 1800 something just a couple of days ago. So there is obviously some sort of major concern going on in investors' minds about what's happening in financial markets today. And that we're, we're seeing you know, oil fall, stocks fall along with it, bonds rising and yields dropping. And uh, the dollar, for the most part, is falling. As you mentioned, it's a little bit stronger against the yen right now, but it's down against the euro. Uh, the euro is at 113.37. Mario Draghi cannot be happy about that. Yeah, I, I well... I, I, I think there's that, and I just think there's also the abrupt moves. I mean, you talk about Trichet-like brutal moves as well. I mentioned Russian ruble not moving all that much, but we need to underscore, particularly for those of you just joining us worldwide as we go into another hour here of the show, uh, to remind futures negative 40 with Dow futures solidly negative 300. We are better than that right now, uh, but not by much. And I can't tell you, Mike, I can't tell you looking at the screen where we'll be in 20 minutes, let alone uh, two hours. The yield structure, the two-year yield, has given back, Mike, all, and I mean all, of the optimism of a higher rate structure seen over the last three, four, and even five months. Well, it's, it's just it, evaporated. It, it, it's interesting because we have a major risk factor coming up at 10 o'clock this morning for all the markets with Janet Yellen. Uh, it's unlikely she'll say much different, but you never know. And so um, with, with markets uh, as nervous as they are, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening in today on Bloomberg Radio and Television. will carry her comments, question and answer session. She'll read yeah. the same statement, question and answer session. Well, let's go through a formal data check. You need that this morning, and we do that across equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, peripheral Europe, all the spreads uh, wider. I haven't looked at those charts, but nevertheless, peripheral Europe showing some of the tension Michael McKee was talking about earlier. Futures negative 34, Dow futures negative 284. They yield again 1.55%, the two-year 0.60%. 30-year bond on a tear, that hasn't been talked about, 239 uh, percent. West Texas, 26.46, a little better than 20 minutes ago. Brent crude threatening 30. We're not there yet. 30.25 with a good $4 spread widening out as West Texas moves weaker. The yen, 112.33. Stay with us with Markets on the Move, Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 